Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. If you need some motivation and inspiration today, meet Sizakela Maritalu. South African-born, Sizakela is a marketing and brand leader, entrepreneur and influencer. Her personal experiences and career have seen her part of the team working on the ANC campaign as South Africa emerged from apartheid. She has led businesses big and small to deliver their brand purpose. But our conversation today is all about entrepreneurs, those female entrepreneurs who are critically three years into their business journey, which, as Sisa Keller reveals, is a pivotal moment for any business. A passionate activist on the topic of all things female entrepreneur, Sisa Keller is on a mission to find and support 100 entrepreneurs across Africa. Listen to find out more. So Sisa Keller, welcome. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant to have you. My first question I've got to ask, what do you mean by a fentrepreneur? Firstly, Katie, I should tell you that the term I like because it makes me sound like I'm French speaking, like fentrepreneur. But in its origin, I really just wanted to find a proper handle to define women with certain characteristics. Because in the same way that not every woman is a feminist, not every female entrepreneur is a entrepreneur. So what we have found over the last four years is that these women have key defining attributes, which we've now called the 5G. So the first one is they're very clear that they have a gift and that they want to use that gift to be of influence and impact in the world. The second one is a level of greatness. They aim for greatness and understand that greatness comes with choice and discipline. The third is they have a sense of grit. So they have been confronted by challenges. They have overcome those challenges and have kept moving forward. The fourth G relates to the aspect of generosity. Not only do these uh, entrepreneurs want to grow, but they also want to grow with others. The last one is the idea of a gift. They are aware that they are gifted in a unique way. And, and therefore don't spend time comparing themselves. They spend time cultivating their gifts so that they truly can be of lasting, or at least effect some lasting social change with the enterprises that they start. So that is how we arrived at the term entrepreneur to just give proper due to this unique female who launches and leads. And you've obviously been in your own way, cultivating and supporting this particular kind of group of people for some time. Why do you feel that entrepreneurs in particular need a bit of extra help? Firstly, I think it was important for us first to coin the term and trademark it so that in the same way that we now have new words added to the English dictionary, that in time, the world would come to speak of entrepreneur with a shared understanding of who we're referring to. So that was the first piece. The acknowledging that this group of female leaders exists. The second piece is in a culture, Katie, where there's a, an obsession with, with startups 
Uh, you've got incubators, you've got accelerators. And then at the top end, you've got people who are having conversations about mergers and acquisitions and globalization. We've recognized that this, the, this unit that we call the missing middle are these female entrepreneurs who truly aren't benefiting either from the appetite that people show for startups or the enthusiasm that people show for businesses that want to supersize. So we know that, and the data supports us, that at year three, we literally, in, in the same way that women start up more businesses than men, their businesses fail faster than males. And year three is a key marker because that's when we see the business discontinuance of entrepreneurs gallop ahead of male startups. So I felt it was important that we create a platform that attends to the specific and unique needs of that missing middle. Wow. So more women start up businesses than men. I, I didn't know that stat, but to focus in on year three, obviously, lots of yeah. background understanding there. Um, and I think what was important for us was to understand um, what are the impediments that, that, that are stopping you from moving from I've left primary school and I'm now going to get into middle school. So I am concerned in particular by the number of women who come to us with businesses that are five years old, yet are still being subjected to incubator culture and accelerator environments, which, which are things you would hope they would have outgrown by year five and start to develop a unique set of skills. Makes lots of sense. And so what are you and others doing for this particular group of entrepreneurs? And, and, and why have you particularly focused on that sort of segmentation? For me, because I've also had to just borrow from my own entrepreneurial journey, right? So um, having left corporate to undertake a, the creation of a practice that would help pro-Africa companies compete, win and prosper, I have been receiving, I guess, feedback from the marketplace just from being curious and paying attention about what is missing. And it was therefore important for me to just hone in on a community that, for all intents and purposes, has been erased because we just cluster female entrepreneurs into this one homogenous lump. But if we don't understand those subsets, it means there are communities of entrepreneurs that are not being given the support they deserve. So we've now launched a platform called Our Finest Hour. And Our Finest Hour is designed specifically as an ecosystem to support entrepreneurs whose businesses are three years and older to help them build bankable, flexible, and repeatable businesses. So so I, I guess it's not so much about scale as much as it is about the ability to replicate your business across geographies and territories and industries. So that's why it felt important for me to just create an ecosystem where people could have exposure to masterclasses that are delivered by global experts on specific subjects, whether it is design thinking, negotiation power, how to tell a story that's bankable, how to master yourself, because in mastering yourself, then you can, you can master your own enterprise. We have subjects such as the art and science of brand building. We have conversations around the female trap. You know, what are those attributes that are linked to the gender that may become actually impediments on your path to growth? We have one masterclass that's talking about choice architecture. So we truly have 
um, spoken to the issues that women have said to us, I struggle with this, but I haven't found a place from which I can find that level of support and intelligence and skill and upskilling. Sizakella, I you've hinted a bit about your journey to this point. You mentioned yes. about your sort of own entrepreneurial motivations, etc., and, and the work that you were doing before. Could you just yes. expand on that a bit more? I happen to know your story is particularly interesting. So, so I started my my life's work in advertising, actually working on the ANC's campaign at the turn of, of our democracy. So that was incredibly significant. I was too young to understand how, how historically significant that was. And now that I've had a couple of more summers, I'm, I'm able to just appreciate the true depth of that opportunity and that experience. But I have spent a lot of time building brands, fixing agencies, cause correcting others. And then in the last while, I was leading the the efforts of Barclays Africa across the continent on behalf of, of Barclays Africa, which is now APSA down here in South Africa. I guess my, the thing that, that is the golden thread across all the things I have done professionally is my desire to effect lasting change and create a focus on marginalized communities. And advertising those marginalized communities were consumers who are Black, in this work that I'm doing now in our finest hour, that marginalized community is the community I'm calling for entrepreneurs. So I've, I realize now that there's a, a golden thread that runs through the beginning of my journey to where I am today, which is just how do you positively fight erasure by bringing attention and focus to those communities that are contributing to the larger outcome, yet remain unnamed and unseen and unsupported. Amazing journey. And as a entrepreneur yourself, I mean, what would be your sort of top lessons that you've learned or advice that you want to share with others who are potentially also pursuing an entrepreneurial journey? I mean, especially in South Africa, but potentially beyond as well. The first piece is the clarity of your vision. When I turned 30, I had Firstly, I changed my name. I used to be known by another name that means absolutely nothing, Katie, so I won't tell you. But it was, it was I, I just wanted to have a conversation with myself about who am I, what am I here to do, and how do I want to contribute to a future that may not find me, right? Because I have been able to stand on the shoulders of giants and queens and sheroes, and I want to be able to, to have some level of custodianship for, the, for those who will come after me. So I, I then settled on a word called influence and influence truly is just a single word that defines my purpose. So if there's any form of counsel I can give to other entrepreneurs, it's just clarity of purpose because that purpose will feed and fuel and energize your vision. So that's the first piece. The second piece then is to contribute in ways that are supportive of your uniqueness, but also in ways that will drive a growth for your community and your continent in distinct ways. I have seen too many people imitate, you know, so we see Katie's running an events company. So I also want to run an events company. If there's any counsel I can give is please find a new path, you know, find new territory where you can contribute to the greater whole. So the first is clarity of vision. The second is just find new territory because there are enough problems in the world for us to solve for, and not all of us have to be in event planning. 
And the third piece is about betting on yourself. Because particularly when you're starting and you're having conversations with potential clients, partners, family members, ex-colleagues, people you used to work with, you may be discouraged by some and others will give you lip service, but not necessarily give you business support. So you have to be willing to bet on yourself, which means you have to invest in your own growth. I see with great concern a tendency on the part of some entrepreneurs who insist on things that are free. Like, so no, 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 you have to be my mentor and tell me everything you know, because that's what you must do. And, and I've always said, everything I know, I have either been taught or I learned or I paid for. So there needs to be a willingness on your part to invest in your own growth because people support people who support themselves. Then it's easier for people to give you a hand up versus a hand out. Isabel, I mean, that your wisdom sort of oozes out of you. And for those who are listening to this podcast today, what do you want them to do, to think and to believe? The first thing I want you to believe is that you have it within you to achieve everything you desire. But I think our parents did not speak to us in complete sentences. So when mothers say you can be everything you want, it's partly true. I think the complete sentence is you can be everything you work hard at. So let's be clear that hard work, there is no substitute for hard work. The second piece is an understanding that if you haven't mastered those self-limiting beliefs, your behavior will match that. So rather than try and adjust just your behavior, have a quiet conversation with yourself about your belief systems. You have to believe that you're good enough. You have to believe that you have value to add. You have to believe that you can make a contribution and you have to believe that you can be of good in the world. Because if you believe that, then you will anchor a behavioral system that supports and gives expression to that. What do I want you to do? I would like you to firstly just look up for people who are, who are consistent so their values match their behavior. I would naturally encourage you to come into our circle of, of entrepreneurs and look up our finest hour because I, I, we are deliberate in creating a community where we can problem solve through collaboration and not through competition. Oh, Sister Keller, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us there. Now, we are sat halfway through 2020. It has been and continues to be a very peculiar time what with global pandemics, with a number of the Black Lives Matter pieces rising up and, and the sort of global shocks seem to be continuing. We are about to go into the UN General Assembly. They are working to an idea of what is it what is the future that we want? And I want to ask you that question. Zizakela, what is the future that you want? Desire, Katie, I guess a future that shows us a lot more leaders in business, whether that is private or public sector, leading from a place of morality and high ethical standards. The noise and the discontent that we're seeing in the world today, whether that be around Black Lives Matter, or this epidemic that's, that's forced the world literally to go into a naughty corner and reflect on our past choices and our past sins. I think all of these things point to a vacancy in corporate's understanding of what their role is. I really do believe that corporates should start thinking and behaving like citizens in community. 
in service of humanity, not just in service to shareholders. So a future right desire is a future that truly understands the benefits of diversity, equity, inclusivity, but also a future that doesn't give leaders any room to hide or space to try and separate values from their personal lives to their professional roles. It has to be integrated. We need a new quality and caliber of leader in the world today. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation today, Sister Keller. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight. And for those who are listening, you will find the links to the Fentrepreneur work that Sister Keller has been talking about in the words that sit alongside the podcast. So, Sister Keller, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Katie, and may you be safe. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback, so please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 